Welcome to a special Copa America edition of the Planet Football Podcast. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor. Day one of Copa America is in the books. The only chapter in that book is Columbia's 2-0 win over the USA. And we've got SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss here to talk about it. Uh, guys, not the start the USA was hoping for in this tournament that it's hosting. Grant, uh, let's start with you on this game. You were there in Santa Clara. Uh, just what was your general takeaway uh, from this loss for the U.S.? Well, yeah, so much hype for the first game, and it's just a brutal start for the U.S. to give up a goal on a set piece eight minutes in. Uh, and yes, the U.S. responded well uh, after that. Uh, they didn't uh, crumble. And yet, right before halftime, they give up a second goal, uh, which essentially sealed the game. Uh, and uh, that, that's, that was kind of a gut punch uh, after they'd had a nice stretch. And I understand after the game why the U.S. players were trying to find some positives, uh, kind of focusing on the, the defensive effort and the run of play, and the U.S. possession figures weren't bad. Uh, and I understand focusing on the positive to an extent because, you know, you still have a very important game against Costa Rica. But, you know, I think I use the term optimism killing after this game. And it certainly was optimism killing in, in a lot of ways. And I find it interesting that Jurgen Klinsmann, who often is very uh, unnaturally upbeat in post-game press conferences after tough losses, uh, argued that the U.S. played Columbia absolutely even because I, that's not the game I was watching. And I find it interesting that Klinsmann can have these Q&A sessions like he did with the Wall Street Journal that came out a couple days ago where he just rips everyone left and right by name and then is so overly positive after a game like that. Uh, I know Klinsman's gotten criticism at times for throwing players under the bus, but I'd rather hear an honest press conference than uh, the, you know, the, you know, the rainbows that we heard after this one. Yeah, Brian, did you see an, an even game? I believe the quote was something along the lines of, you know, aside from the two goals, it was even. Well, that's kind of important. One of the things I always look for when I watch a game is, is not only what each team is accomplishing, but how hard they're having to work to do it. Um, and yes, the U.S. had uh, uh, some, some possession advantage, especially in the middle of the field. But Colombia never had to work hard. Colombia was never really under threat. None of the U.S. possession ever really amounted to anything that was going to pull Colombia out of position or force any of their defenders to make tough choices or, or, or you know, pull things apart so the U.S. could create some real promising scoring chances. And so, you know, I understand why Jurgen thinks he watched an even game, but what I saw was one team under duress and that duress forcing them to make some real critical mistakes that let, wound up leading to the result – and another team that just sort of, you know, strolled around, pressed when they had to, went forward when they had to, had enough quality to sort of finish the chance they had, um, and then sort of strolled to the win. And, and to me, that spells the difference between the two teams, that, that Columbia didn't really have to work that hard to beat the U.S. Um, that being said, this was always going to be the game they were likely going to lose. Uh, you know, I don't know how many people picked the U.S. Uh, to finish first in the group. I don't know how many people thought that they were going to beat Colombia, which is one of the top teams in the world. Uh, I think they were always going to have to beat uh, Costa Rica and Paraguay to get through, and that's where they still are. So it may have killed optimism. Uh, I can see that, but I don't think it actually on paper 
uh, really did that much damage uh, to U.S. hopes in this tournament, I think they're kind of where we thought they were going to be. Uh, that's that's exactly the the phrase to to steal from Dennis Green. Uh, they are that, that they, I, they are who we thought they were. Honestly, though, like that's what my takeaway from the game was. Nothing ab- about the results surprised me. The task at hand is still there. Beat the two teams, Brian. Like you said, that they're supposed to beat on home soil. They're you know Costa Rica and Paraguay are teams that that tend to play. Their competition's pretty tight, especially Costa Rica and the U.S. If you look back at their history, it's just a ton of one-goal games. Um, but they're in a position where I, I personally thought thought that they would be. Um, Grant, I, I guess, how much of this game do you put on Klinsman? I mean, the lineup decision, I know the forward line, um, and you wrote about this in your three thoughts on Planet Football, you don't think that puts uh, those attacking players in position to succeed. But in terms of of the balance of the starting 11 as a whole, I, I didn't feel like there were that as many gripes <laughs> as usual uh, during uh, the, the pregame buildup. Uh, maybe not. I, you know, I do look back and we had this discussion leading up to the game where Brian pointed out that Kyle Beckerman had really stood out in a positive way against Columbia in the friendly back two years ago in London. And I sort of thought we might see Kyle Beckerman start in this game. And, think that might have been a decent option uh, for Klinsman. Uh, and yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I said this last night, the, the front three doesn't yet draw out the best qualities of any of those guys in the front three. Dempsey is not a center forward. You know, he needs to be working with some other forward in a 4-4-2 and needs to be sort of playing behind that other forward. Uh, because that's what he naturally does anyway. He needs to be moving back into the midfield. Um, and then Bobby Wood, I, I can, you can sense his frustration being asked to play a wide role that he's just not accustomed to. It's not natural for him. Uh, and to a le- slightly lesser extent, Jossi Zardis, who I thought played okay, uh, but he's more effective centrally than wide. And so I think Klinsman just needs to make a decision and and go with two up top, and he'll get more out of all of those guys and the two he gets than he's getting right now out of that front three. Brian, what, what do you think about kind of the the personnel decisions? I know you talked about Beckerman a lot um, on last uh, the podcast we did a few a few days ago, building up to this this tournament. Um, did you, did you have? gripes kind of with, with how things played out um, in the lineup for the U.S.? I actually thought Beckerman was on the team for this game. I thought that's why he was on the roster. Um, you know, people criticized the, the Beckerman-Jones-Bradley uh, trio when they played in the friendly, but they were very, very good defensively and very compact and very organized. And that's what Beckerman does best is win the ball and then not turn it over. Um, so, so I thought that's why he was on the team was to play last night. Uh, and then he didn't. Uh, and we saw Michael Bradley have, have, a, have a good first 20, 25 minutes. Um, but then we saw things start to fray a little bit. And obviously, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't have the options in midfield he wanted. He made some poor decisions. He missed a couple tackles. And then all of a sudden he, he, he gives, up, uh, gives up the ball that leads to the penalty kick. So, um, you know, that, that surprised me. I, I, I thought Beckerman would be in for this game. And then, and then Jurgen would open things up a bit more against Colombia and Paraguay. Uh, the other point I want to make is the, you know, the issue with Fabian Johnson and, and is he in or out of position? 
Um, he would have helped last night in midfield. I mean, the, the U.S. had nothing on the flanks, absolutely nothing. And, and they could have used a guy who's comfortable out near the touchline, who can create a little bit, who's a bit dynamic, uh, can cross the ball. Um, and, they, and they lacked it because Jurgen had no choice but to put him at left back. And, and within the context of this single tournament, he's doing the right thing. There isn't a better player uh, to put in that spot at the moment. But why? Why over the past couple of years has Jurgen been unable to identify and groom a replacement for DeMarcus Beasley? That, to me, is the failure. Not putting Fabian Johnson at left back. He's got no choice. But the fact that he has no other option, I think, is a pretty significant indictment. And while we credit Jurgen for Bobby Wood and for, for Jonathan Brooks and for some other guys that have really come forward, DeAndre Yedlin, um, left back's a failure. And I think it's hurting this team. I think they could have used Johnson at left mid last night. I don't totally know if I buy the idea that there's not a left back option there. I, I saw Tim Ream. Uh, granted, it was in Puerto Rico, but like I think Tim Ream's a guy who could play that position right now uh, for the U.S. And I, yeah, I thought Ream was going to be on the roster. And and I think the benefit you would get from having Fabian Johnson in a wide midfield position where he can do what he does at club level quite well, and, and that's his position. Um, I I'd rather have that set up, uh, to be honest. Um, because I think Fabian Johnson can bring a lot to the table, and you're right, there was uh, not a lot of wide threat last night from the U.S. No, not at all. I, I want to go back to the the point you're talking about on Bradley, though. Um, you know, these these tournaments are are where the U.S. needs Bradley to be at his best, and and Grant, you saw the the turnovers that he had, and 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 just you know. Brian, I know you're talking about the first, you know, 20, 25 minutes. He he looked good and and was playing up to that uh, that standard, but it it just fell apart, and it's it's baffling to me. And I and I don't I don't really know how to put a finger on it. Grant, what what do you what do you take from Bradley's play? Well, he's finally playing in the position that he should be in, uh, and so you would expect in a big game like that that he he would produce. The U.S. needed him to produce if they were going to get any points last night, and he didn't. He had a bad game. Um, and so, uh, you know, do we have very high expectations for Michael Bradley? Yes, and maybe that's why I'm kind of singling him out here. Uh, I have higher expectations for him than other players on this team. And uh, you just can't have the mistakes like the one that led to the second Columbia goal. You can't have that happen. Uh, the term that Michael often uses uh, when you hear him talk is sharpness, things need to get sharper. You know, I, I think he probably realizes he needs to be sharper moving forward. And we had, three, we had three important players make big mistakes last night. Uh, you know, Cameron uh, failing to follow Zapata on the opener, uh, Bradley with that turnover, and then Yedlin jumping with his arms in the air. I mean, they, they just can't happen. And when you're playing a tight game against a very good opponent, the team that makes those mistakes is going to lose the game. Um, and, uh, you know, you're in, you're in a tournament. Uh, these games are going to be decided by very slim margins, and, and veteran players who play at a very high level can't make those mistakes. You're absolutely right. And you talk about slim margins. Um, you know, Dempsey missed two goals by, you know, inches. One, um, you know, on the free kick that Dowd Espina saved, fantastic save. And look, it was not Clint Dempsey's best night, um, but he still had two very good chances to score. Really, a, a third uh, laid on in the second half after uh, Christian Pulisic and Darlington Nagby finally came into the game. Um, it, it almost looked like he took a shot that if he just lets the ball go, Pulisic has a, a clearer chance. 
Um, and I, you know, maybe, I don't know if Dempsey's pushing for that 50th career goal landmark, if he is feeling the pressure to put this team on his shoulders like, like usual. I mean, he has been the most reliable goal scoring threat that they have. Um, Grant Dempsey in, in this team, I know you think that he needs to be playing in a different position. You talked about that. Um, what, what did you think of his play last night? Well, you know, he had those chances. Uh, it was a terrific free kick that he took, though on the whole, the U.S. had a lot of set-piece chances and did not take very good free kicks the rest of the night, I thought, and had probably too many people taking free kicks, not just Dempsey. Um, but I would like to see more movement from Clint Dempsey um, to, to be involved with his teammates, to create danger with his movement and not sort of just trying to sit back and not move a lot and throw haymakers and hope they land. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's, he's just not a lone center forward, you know, and I think he needs to be working off somebody. Um, I think I would continue playing him. I, I don't think Clint Dempsey should be benched. I think he's a big threat on set pieces. I think, um, He's he does bring things to the table, but if I were Jurgen Klinsmann, I would ask more from him as far as effort off the ball, um, as far as doing a lot of little things that you didn't see as much of against Colombia. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point for sure, um, Brian. The two guys that a lot of people are are talking about hyping, getting excited about are are Darlington Nagby and, and Christian Pulisic. They came on. Uh, with about 25 minutes to go in the game, um, you know, the U.S. didn't score in that time. And, you know, I'm wondering if they should have been on at halftime, one of them anyway. You know, the, the U.S. goes down 2 nothing, backbreaker of a goal right before um, right before the halftime whistle. And, you know, you got to change up something, right? Whatever was working and whatever was being done in the first half wasn't working. Klinsman waits a little long. Do you think it, it mattered in this game that they didn't come on until like the 65th, 66th minute? Probably not. I mean, you know, I think we still saw in that 25 minutes, uh, you know, just just add 10 to that, you know, if you want to see what it would have been like had they been on 10 minutes longer. I mean, Colombia, like I said at the beginning, they weren't working hard. They didn't have to work hard. They were they were so dangerous on the counter and so well organized that they could just hang back, let the sort, you know, let the U.S. work themselves into a frenzy uh, and then wait for them to make a mistake and pounce on it. And And, and that didn't change. Uh, once once Nagby and Pulisic came in, although you referenced the, the the play where Dempsey looked like he took a shot off Pulisic's foot, I I, I don't think he did that on purpose. So maybe he didn't see him there. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice to see uh, Pulisic get a rip on that. Um, you know, look, they're both talented players, uh, but there's a domino effect. I mean, if you, if you put Nagby in, uh, you know, a, as a playmaker, um, do you have to take Jermaine Jones off the field? If you play a four four two, are you then forcing, uh, you know, Bradley and Jones to play a pivot, which hasn't really worked well because they they don't, you know, we've seen over and over they don't really read off each other as well, and especially Jones uh, doesn't like to have to track back and defend all the time. Um, so whatever you d- wind up doing, uh, there are domino effects um, throughout the side, and you know, I don't know if if Pulisic and Nagby give you the presence. Uh, on on the wings that you want. Um, at the same time, Wooden's artists don't either. Uh, so he's got he's got too many players who who are better cutting in or or, or playing centrally, and not enough players who who can sort of spread the field uh, and 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 force a defense to kind of you know pull itself and, and make some decisions. So 
Um, maybe some redundant talent. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I would love to see Pulisic and Nagby get some more time. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a team like Costa Rica, a team you're familiar with, um, is the place to do it. But then, like I said, you got to make tough choices. I mean, Bedoya is a good two-way midfielder. He had a decent game last night. You know, is he the guy you pull off? Uh, you know, Klinsman's a big fan of Zardes. Zardes played okay last night. Is he the guy you pull off? Um, and I guess this is why Klinsman makes the millions. But, uh, you know, I don't know that there would have been a solution last night. I, I, I think after that second goal, uh, that game was pretty much over because you allowed Columbia just to kind of settle in and, and, and waltz. I mean, they didn't have to work hard, and I don't think that changed uh, once the subs were made. Yeah, uh, let's let's spin it forward um, before we get on out of here. Grant, I guess what changes along the lines of what we've just been talking about do you do you see potentially um, you know being made, or does the U.S. have to to change you know given the the opponent that they're going to be going up against? Well, I mean, I would if it were me, I'd go four four two and probably drop Zardes to the bench. Um, I think Bobby Wood put in his correct position can have a much bigger influence and score goals. Uh, I don't think he's going to score goals in this tournament if they keep with a 4-3-3 and have him out wide. Um, I look at, you know, it was interesting, Jermaine Jones after the game, and obviously when he came off, he was very demonstrative and being unhappy about coming off. Uh, He was saying after the game that he was told that he uh, did not fulfilled the game plan, which was more to have him help out Fabian Johnson defensively on Quadrado than to get forward. And it was interesting to hear him not sort of admit that afterward, but um, you know, I you know, do you keep Jermaine Jones on the field? I you know, in a sense you kind of just assume Jurgen Klinsman will. I, I think that's a pretty safe assumption. And so I'd like to see Nagby come on, and, and it would be a, a little unfortunate for Bedoya if he were to to not start, but I think Nagby's actually more two-way than people think, and I also think he brings an element in the attack that Bedoya doesn't as far as unpredictability on the ball. So um, it's interesting to to kind of say that you would sacrifice Bedoya and Zardis in the lineup, but that's what I do. But it's interesting. I agree with you on both points you made about uh, Nagby. I agree. He's a better two-way player than people give him credit for, and he's got, he's got uh, a flair uh, that Bedoya doesn't have. But if you play a 4-4-2, and you agree that Michael Bradley is best at a number six, and we probably all agree that Jermaine Jones ain't coming out, then that means Jermaine Jones is, your, is, is the attacking midfielder. That means he's the point of the diamond with, with, with uh, uh, Dempsey sort of filling in underneath, like you said, he fits in in a 4-4-2. So is Jermaine Jones your, your, you know, your, your top of the diamond? Is he your attacking midfielder? Um, he won't have to come back as much, granted, but is that how you want to set your team up? So that's, that, that's the domino effect that this kind of stuff has, um, unless, you know, unless you bench him and you put Nagby in there, and, and none of us can see that happening. So um, you're, there are some tough choices here, and this goes back to something that I've written a few times and we've all talked about is – why does it feel like we're starting over every time there's a tournament? What, what, why, do, why aren't these things established before the tournament starts? That's, that's the problem, is that every time this team gets together, it seems like we're kind of building from scratch and seeing how things fit together, where I, I feel like other teams kind of know what they're doing when they, when they land. Uh, and, and for national teams that don't spend a lot of time together, that's huge. 
That, that, that's a massive, massive thing that the guys get there and they already have a sense of how things are going to be laid out and what the approach is going to be. And I feel like here we are, a game into this tournament, and we're still kind of figuring out what this team is supposed to look like. Fun, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's aggravating. It's aggravating times for sure. Um, all of that said, two games remain in this group for the U.S. Uh, we don't know the result of Costa Rica-Paraguay yet. It's taking place uh, tonight. We're tipping this on Saturday morning. That game is at 5 o'clock Saturday in Orlando. Um, for, for both of you guys, Grant, first, uh, you still see the U.S. getting out of this group even after the result? Great question. Uh, I, yeah, but I don't say that with confidence. <laughs> you know, it's, um, I mean, it, it's something where, you know, I thought the recipe for the U.S. getting second in the group would include a tie in the first game. And so they're not actually where I thought they would be. And so I think it's going to be a challenge. Uh, you're, you're basically looking at either needing to win your next two games or win and tie and hope that that's enough. And so do I think it's possible for the U.S. to get out of the group? Yes. Uh, and I, I guess if I had to make a choice, I'd lean toward, okay, I think they might make it. But that's that's not a voice of optimism necessarily there. <laughs> Brian, do you have a uh, a more or less um, optimistic take? No, that was that was very well said. Um, I picked them to finish second in the group. Um, you know, it's not a shock that they lost to the team that was picked first to finish in the group. So, you know, are are they where they are they where I thought they were on paper? Yeah, are they where I thought they would be? You know, in terms of mood and confidence and trajectory and momentum, you know, none of that's too great. But, uh, you know, I picked him to finish second and I'll, I'll stick with it till, uh, it looks like it's not going to happen. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it's a change. <laughs> Look, they, uh, should, they should be Costa Rica at home, right? They should be, they need to win that game at home. And, and then you go into the last game against Paraguay with everything on the line, uh, assuming a pro us crowd. And, and this team has done it before with its back against the wall. So I, well, I don't see, I don't see why winning the next two games shouldn't be a problem. They should be expected to win the next two games. Absolutely. Fans, media, players, they should expect to win the next two games and, and finish second in the group at two and one. I would, I would agree with you. Uh, it's also important to note, look, if Columbia runs the table, that's probably in the best interest of the U.S. at this point. Um, you know, don't, don't concede any points to Paraguay or, or Costa Rica. Whatever happens tonight between those two teams happens, and then the U.S. has, has kind of the, the ball in there. And their court. Um, so, look, I I personally thought that they would get somewhere between four and six points, go through as a second place team, and then get smoked by Brazil in the quarterfinals. So, <laughs> that's that's my semi optimistic outlook. Um, but uh, again, a, a two nothing loss to Colombia, not exactly the way Jurgen Klinsmann or the U.S. wanted to start this tournament. But there is uh, at least 180 minutes more of soccer to be played. So. With that, uh, we are going to put a wrap on this special edition Planet Football podcast. We will be back with you Wednesday after the USA plays against Costa Rica. Uh, We will either be way more optimistic about the USA's chances or way more morbid. Uh, Only one way to find out. Uh, For Grant Wall and Brian Strauss and our producer Alex Abnos, I am Avi Creditor. We'll talk to you next time.
Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.